What's up, Salt? How are we doing tonight? Mmm, good. It's good to see y'all. My name's Ryan. Get to preach the Bible here sometimes. I'm thrilled to dive in tonight. There's a lot of faces I do not recognize tonight, and that is a joy to me. So please, if we have not met, find me. Come say hi. I would love to meet you. I've been around Salt for quite a while, and one thing is consistent, right? A um, lot of fun Sometimes helpful, not so helpful critique, right? You bring a friend, you say, hey, what did you think of Salt Company? And they will have an answer for you every time, right? Super fun. I remember when I was a sophomore 30 years ago, and I had a buddy who was coming to Salt, and I asked him, dude, what do you think about it? And he gave me one of my favorite critiques I have ever gotten, period. Not just about Salt, ever. He said, Salt is cool. It's cool. I enjoy going. But there's just one thing. They talk about Jesus too much. Why always talk about Jesus? Like you went a little too far. And little did he know, I'd be talking about that all these years later, thrilled at that critique of Salt Company. Yes. The biggest critique he could give was the greatest compliment that I think a ministry or a church or any person could ever hear. And I pray and hope that that never changes. But I gotta ask why? Why never stop talking about Jesus? There's a lot of things we can talk about. Why Jesus? What's the big deal with him? Well, starting tonight, for three weeks only, we are jumping into a new little series that gets very up close and personal with Jesus himself. Right, we're going to John 17 to what a lot of people call the high priestly prayer, right? Everybody here tonight is getting a backstage pass. We are getting a backstage pass, every single one of you, to hear Jesus pray. That's pretty cool. Have you ever thought about what that would be like? Like what would Jesus say in a prayer? It's a great question. He prayed a lot. When you read the New Testament, you see that. He's always leaving his people in like the middle of a lot of like really stressful times or in the middle of high ministry. He would just go up on a mountain and pray. I'm sure they were asking that same question. What is he praying about? What does it sound like? Well, the wondering is over as we get a look behind the curtain. Now, let me ask you this, bit of a shift here. Have any of you guys ever met a celebrity? Like, to the point where you're like starstruck and you kind of like wish you would have said something different and you feel kind of dumb because you were kind of nervous around them? Nobody? Sweet. We're super Iowan. Um, I, you're, this is where you're expecting me now to say, I met a celebrity. No, I haven't really. Um, I have no good story there. But I did just buy NBA tickets to a game coming up, basketball game. And I was remembering, I think one of the last NBA games I got to go to, an Indiana Pacers game. Can't remember why I was in Indiana, but I was with Dalton, the worship leader and our salt director at the time. And we were really, really excited, but there was a huge disappointment when we got to our seats. They were a mile away from the court, um, like a literal country mile away from the court. They were in the nosebleeds, you call it. You're up in the upper rafters, and I literally could see the game so much better on my TV at home. Um, it was still cool. Like you could feel the energy of the game. You know, it's like I could see the scoreboard. I couldn't, I bat out. I couldn't really see the players, but we just decided let's just get even closer. So like it's an Indiana Pacers home game. Um, like nobody's really there. So we went all the way down and almost got floor seats, right? Like we were like 
splash zone. Like if a player spit, like we could feel it, you know? And it was unbelievably cool. And if I'm being honest, it was a little bit scary. Why? Have you seen those guys? They're massive. I'm like smaller than every guy in the front row here anyway. These seven footers made me feel puny. And it was so cool to be like people I've gotten accustomed to seeing on a TV my whole life. I'm now standing there watching Paul George just run up and down past me, yelling at his teammates, and I am like a little bit starstruck. What do you call that besides being starstruck? What do you call it when you get closer to somebody, you see them for how they really are, and it kind of takes you back? They're weightier. They're bigger. And the churchy way to say it is they have glory to them, right? Glory, this weightiness, this bigness, this value to them or this beauty to them, right? Like I get up on stage to preach tonight and if you were to say anything, you would say, huh. Like that'd be like the word, like, oh, Ryan gets up, we say, huh. If like Justin Bieber got up on the stage to preach or do something, I don't know what, what he'd be doing up here, but if he did, half of you would be fainting, the other half would be screaming. Why? Because he has more glory than me. Like he's weightier than me. And if just a better looking, more talented man could be that much more glorious than me, how much more the God of the universe? Right? Okay. I think a lot of us know a lot about God tonight. That's what we're coming in here with. We've been to church before. We've been to salt for a while, maybe. And we know a lot about God. We know all the answers, but I think we know him from a distance. We have all the facts about God, but I don't know if we actually all have a relationship with God. Some of that might sound like a foreign concept to you, that you can talk in circles about the church stuff. But I want to ask, have you ever actually experienced the weight of God in your life? The glory of God in your life? So full disclaimer, John 17 is not a safe place to be. One commentator describes it as the holy of holies in the Bible. Jesus praying to his father. And you're about to get an up close and personal look at what this God is all about. And I'm telling you, when you see Jesus for who he really is and his glory, you won't stay the same and you might actually not be able to stop talking about him. So tonight we're gonna look behind the curtain I'm going to give my defense to my buddy's critique. All you talk about is Jesus. I'm saying absolutely. And tonight, to keep it simple, I'm just going to rant about why I never want to stop talking about Jesus, according to John 17. And my hope for tonight, guys, is that we would leave here glorifying Jesus. We would leave here glorifying Jesus by wanting him more than anything else in the world. Here's our big idea tonight. To frame us in, it's, why we will never stop talking about Jesus, okay? We're in John 17, and we're at the Last Supper, okay? Jesus has kind of, for chapters now, given almost like this discourse, like this, uh, this kind of a sermon, right? Saying a lot of things. He's talking to his disciples. He's kind of letting them in on what's about to happen, right? He's trying to fill them with courage and hope and faith because he's on his way to the cross. He tries to leave them with some peace and encouragement, but now as the kind of this discourse ends at the table, he prays. For the next couple weeks, you'll see he prays for his disciples. 
He prays that more people in the world will come to know the good news and find life in him. But tonight first, he's praying for himself. And this is what it says in John 17, verse one. Just one verse. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. All right, here's that word again, glory. Father, glorify your son so he may glorify you. Don't skip over this one verse too quickly, okay? There's some really foundational, really important, really cool stuff here that we have to see. Jesus is perfectly sufficient without us. He's perfectly sufficient without me. What do I mean? Okay, rapid fire theology. Our God exists in what we call in the church a trinity, okay? Trinity. Most of you have heard that word before. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Existing forever in what a lot of people call the Godhead, okay? God is three persons. Each person, each person is fully God, and there is one God. Let that bake your noodle for a second, okay? This is not a contradiction, as facts that are disagreeing with one another is a paradox, something to be marveled at, something that we cannot fully grasp. Will you, you will not fully grasp this tonight. I promise you that. But is it clear in scripture that this is what's true about our God? Absolutely. And is this fact about who God is very, very, very good news for us tonight? Absolutely. How so? Because God exists in a trinity, we do not have a God who is lonely. We do not have a God who's lonely, who created us so that we could just entertain him because he was bored for eternity past. We do not have a God who is insecure, who just needed us to make him feel better about himself. We do not have a God who is weak, who needed something outside of himself to sustain him, who did not need somebody outside of himself to give him life. He is the author of life, period. We have a God who has existed forever, get this, in a loving, outward-facing relationship that is beautiful. We have a God who is far bigger, far more beautiful, and far more valuable than anything in this world or in the cosmos that you could ever imagine. He is glorious, and we have a God who is in the business of giving himself glory. Why? to put it as simply as possible, because he deserves it. And to glorify anything else above himself, that's what we call idolatry. Another churchy word that essentially means you're wasting your worship on false gods. God will not waste his worship. He will not waste his glory because he deserves it. The first reason that we say tonight that we will never stop talking about Jesus, guys, is that Jesus does not need us at all. You're going to see a lot of all caps probably. I was kind of in a dramatic mood, I think, this week. But I'm trying to make a point, a good point, that Jesus does not need us at all. Jesus asked his father, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. What does it mean to glorify somebody, right? 
I think we actually know what it means, right? Like if you've ever been to a wedding and you see the bride and the groom looking at each other, and especially, I just think of these weddings where they're like reading their own vows to one another that they wrote, and they're just like lobbing glory back and forth at each other. Like, you are the love of my life. Oh, you, you are more beautiful to me every single day from the day I met you until now to forever. These are real vows. I didn't make this up. No, I don't think I heard that at a wedding, but you get the idea. Just lobbing glory back and forth, infatuated with one another. That is what it looks like to glorify somebody. When you want something more than anything else, you glorify it. That's what I heard one pastor say, and I love the simplicity. When you want something more than anything else, you glorify it. You glorify it. And for God to do this within himself, you imagine what that would look like. You think of like the loud worship here. You think of it as being tenfold. You think of it as being electric and amazing and wonderful and grand. But what Jesus is asking here to be glorified in this context actually leads to a very particular event. He's not talking necessarily about a big worship service here. If you read John up to this point, you're going to see one thing over and over again. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. But now you see in verse 1, the hour has come. We got to shift. What is this hour? This is the hour of the cross. That's weird. How could the Son of God, who existed in eternal glory, be glorified by being tortured to death on a cross? And even more than that, why in the world would Jesus choose that path to glory? If Jesus as God had everything he needed, it was completely sufficient, never needed anything, why is he here praying that God would receive glory from his own humiliation? Well, let's keep reading and find out. A couple really cool verses. Let's just jump right into verses two and three. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. What we've read and what we've seen so far is that God is for God. He is the center of everything. He needs nobody. He needs nothing. He is full of glory. He is far bigger, far more beautiful, and far more, valu far more valuable than anything, and yet... He is up to something here with this cross that gives us in the window of what he's really like, what the heart of God is all about. The eternal loving God has chosen to share his glory with us. Not because people like us are great, but because God is great. This brings him glory. That sinful enemies of God with their cold, callous, rock hearts would be melted to love and worship him. To call him father. To live with him. And 
throw glory his way forever. How could God get glory at the most horrific event in human history? By saving you. We will never stop talking about Jesus because Jesus absolutely loves sinners. Isn't that sweet? He absolutely loves sinners. Like I want us to stop and think about this for a second. If God can be made to look good at the cross, to be glorified, could his greatness not be seen in any and every other circumstance in your life? You ever thought about that? Like not just the good moments, like I won the game, all glory be to God. Why, why does nobody lose the game and say that, right? The cross is proof that Jesus loves you. Are you looking for that in your life? Is that actually true? Do you agree with that? Okay, what about this? What about those hardest moments in your life? The stuff you just don't want to talk about. The stuff that you bury down deep. There was a really, really hard thing that happened this week for some of you, which affected a lot of us. It was a really bad accident this week. An ATV accident where Nick Radcliffe, a guy who was a salt leader here, just graduated and is still around Veritas, was really, really hurt, guys. To the point where he was life-flighted, and it was unsure in the moment just how bad things actually were. And I know a lot of you were praying for him. I know some of you were there, and you're never going to forget that night. There was crazy, crazy moments of God's intervention, but we felt shook by that, knowing that one of our brothers was almost lost in a freak accident. And so I texted him today. I said, how you doing? And this is, what, this is what Nick said to me, guys. And this will preach, okay? I said, my dude, how are you today, man? He said, I'm doing so much better than I should be. Definitely hurting physically, but so thankful and content with where things are at. It's been amazing how thankful I've remained to the point that I haven't wished this away for a second. I've just had so much time to reflect on how faithful God has been to me and how I'm completely dependent on him. God is so good. And he's definitely making it so I won't forget that anytime soon. Most definitely, I am an open book when I asked him if I could share this. So whatever you feel should be shared to glorify the Lord is more than okay with me. The biggest miracles were Kale and I cried out to the Lord for strength repeatedly and God answered by giving Kale enough strength to lift the ATV to free my airway. Briley felt a concern to go check on us even when everyone else thought Kale screams or us just joking around. I was diagnosed with a crushed sternum by the EMT on site, but at the hospital, when they went to x-ray me, I didn't even have a bruise. I was terrified as I lay on the ground waiting for the paramedics to arrive. And as Briley and Ellie prayed over me, I found so much comfort. I was crying out to the Lord that I wouldn't be paralyzed as I lay on the ground. And by the next afternoon, I took my first steps with full brain function. 
I've had complete peace and contentment ever since the accident. And these are just the major ones. God heard all of those prayers that night and truly did the impossible. The worst night in somebody's life. Walking out with broken vertebrae, How could God be glorified in something like this? Well, first, praise God that he's okay. But you can call me crazy. I would say that, what I just read, is the greatness of God on full display. Jesus wanted to show his glorious grace on full display by way of a bloody cross. Because he didn't just want us to sh- like see something. He didn't just want to show it to us. He wanted it to change us. He wanted us to be saved, not only just to be forgiven for all the stuff that you've done in your life that you shouldn't have done, all the rules that we've broken, all the bad stuff, but he wanted us to be transformed from that type of person who didn't want anything to do with God to the type of person who finds their deepest enjoyment in glorifying him forever. He was making worshipers. He says this, that this eternal life, oh man, he says it's that they may know you. The only true God and the one who have sent Jesus Christ. This idea to know him. This isn't the facts that we were talking about earlier, that you know a lot about God. It can be translated learning to know, this growing knowledge of relational experience, of relational intimacy, growing closer and closer with your God. The relationship that every best friendship you've ever had, every spouse you hope to have, every deep and rewarding parenting conversation. If it was good and there's another person involved, that was just a massive arrow pointing to this perfect relationship that you will have with your father someday. He has enough glory and love for each day to be better than the last. Try and wrap your mind around that. And you have some pushback. You say, he may give eternal life to everyone who God has given him. In other words, wait, if I'm not chosen, I can't be saved tonight? How will I know if I'm one of these people that Jesus has chosen to save? What do I do about that? Well, I can't tell you if that's you. That's not my job but I can tell you that you have been chosen to be here tonight. That you have been chosen to hear the gospel tonight. I'm telling you that you can choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ right now and be saved. To be saved from hell, an eternity of pain, separation from the glorious God, and to be saved into the deepest, most loving, enjoyable relationship you could ever imagine. Friends, when you look at the cross, I gotta ask, what is holding you back from loving him? He held absolutely nothing back from loving you. Jesus absolutely loves sinners. And for someone like me, it is the best news ever that he would choose me. The son was on his way to the cross where God would receive glory He would unlock and hand deliver salvation to sinners so God would receive glory. And now Jesus is almost done with his mission and he's eagerly looking forward to something. 
This is what it says in verses four and five. It says, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus glorified his father by his perfect obedience that led him all the way to death on a cross. And he looks now toward being back on his throne and all the glory that he's had forever past. And for the Christian tonight, this actually might be the most confidence-infused news that you could hear. Why? 2 Corinthians 5 puts it like this. He talks about, Paul talks about Jesus being made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The poison of sin that polluted our blood and our guilty record, those were done away with on the cross. But what replaced them? Were you guys just given a clean slate when you became a Christian? It's like, all right, better luck next time, man. No. It was this. It was Jesus, God-glorifying life that he lived. That was his gift to you. The perfect obedience, the purity of mind, the spotless record that he earned are now pressed onto us. We have become righteous as he became sin for us. What does that do for you tonight? Is anyone coming in here tonight just faking it, totally faking it? Because you feel so much guilt about your life that you don't know what to do. That you are sick of putting on the face and you just need somebody to ask how you're doing because you would explode at the prick of a pin because you are overwhelmed with guilt. Is anyone here unsure about their faith? Not just like I have doubts, but like, like, am I actually a Christian? Like I keep sliding back into old sins. Am I sure of this stuff? I don't know. No doubt somebody's feeling that tonight. I'm telling you, friends, if that's you, look to the cross and see Jesus trading all of his perfection for all of your imperfection. Look to the empty tomb where Jesus' grave was burst open in glory and it assures you beyond all doubts, it is finished. That is glorious. And believe it or not, there's actually more that we're gonna really dive into next week. Like, what do you think Jesus is doing now? What you're gonna see is that Jesus is praying for you, Christian. He's praying for you. He stands before God and he's pleading your innocence. And Ryan's with me. Christian, you did not choose God so that you could just change your mind and ditch him one day. He chose you and he will never change his mind about you. If he died for you while you were still sinning, how much more confident can you be now that he looks at you and calls you son and calls you daughter? We have assurance of salvation. We will never stop talking about Jesus because Jesus personally guarantees your eternity. He personally guarantees your eternity. And you know what pumps me up? Oh man, what pumps me up is thinking about a people who are confident in this and what Jesus says about you and what Jesus finished on the cross. We're so confident in their eternity. It starts to 
kind of mess up our life now. No more looking over your shoulder, wondering if God is still upset with you, but actually have that replaced by radical lives of worship, just throwing glory at Jesus, enjoying him more than anything in the world. And so let's start practicing now. Let's get ready for that amazing, glorious eternity we have with him. And let's do some, let's do some things. Let's have some fun. Do something like these. These are the glory to God challenges, okay? Just a little bit of fun. How can we practice a life of worship and glorifying God? How about this? Glory to God in your obedience. Glory to God. We saw Jesus' example. Being the perfect, obedient child, we should obey like him. How? Well, I'm telling you. There, guys, listen up. There's going to be a moment this week when you notice two options in your life. And you know one is obedient to the Lord and you know one is sinful and that you know which one might look better in the moment. You know how satisfying the sin is gonna look and I'm telling you right now, write down what you think that might be and just decide right now that you are gonna choose to glorify God in obedience instead. Glory to God in your obedience. How about this? Glory to God in your song. A lot of us come here to be entertained by music. Oh man, that's so small. (laughs) We have such a cool opportunity here to sing like we're excited to see Jesus, to glorify him, to, to sing true things about him, to glorify him. There will be a moment, guys, this week when you will not be feeling like maybe you do on a Thursday night. Like real life hits and you're just like, oh, like I don't feel like doing this stuff, man. I am not happy. Like where's all the joy? And there's so many people in the Bible, so many authors in the Bible that the spirit inspired to write that they actually would agree with you. That they would literally, like the psalmist in Psalm 42, literally would say, why are you, he's yelling at himself. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Oh, hope in God, for I shall again worship him. Okay, you can do the same. And there is something wonderful and amazing and creative that God did by creating music that the Christian can actually stir their own soul to make much of God. We're worshiping all the time. But we're not always worshiping Jesus, are we? And I'm encouraging you, use music. Uh, Follow me on Spotify, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but you should. Listen to good stuff. Sing. Tonight, just let it rip. Why do people throw their hands up in the air? Are they holier than you? No, they're just more desperate than you. How about this? Glory to God in our love. This is the last thing before we end. Glory to God in our love. Could you imagine a place where we treated one another like Jesus treated us? and currently treats us. How so? Some of you guys, this is gonna make you literally leave before the final song even plays. Why do we only do meet and greet in the beginning of Salt? What if tonight you did a second meet and greet? What if you actually just used a night like this to meet somebody new around you? It's so cliche. But do you know how many people can come in and out of our church services and know absolutely nobody? Oh, that breaks my heart. And so some of you are thinking right now, I'm going to conquer that mountain on my own tonight. No, you're not. 
You do not know everybody here and you will not be able to, but meet one person. Meet one person and if it's awkward, it was worth it. I guarantee it. You can blame me. But would this be a place that actually looks like the love of Jesus on full display? Who's looking to the guy in the corner, who's looking to the people who are different from us and are loving each other even in these simple baby step ways of saying, hey, I'm Ryan, and just seeing where it goes from there. Guys, we will never stop talking about Jesus. How could we? He's so glorious. Let's, let's pray to him right now and let's, let's worship him. Jesus, it is mind-blowing to think about you in your entirety. To think about the eternal God who needed absolutely nothing, who was completely content, who had a loving relationship within himself forever. And yet that love has overflowed and here we are. God, it is just as mind-blowing to think that a sinner like me and so many of us here have been bound to you forever. That not only do we not deserve forgiveness, sure, but do we deserve to have a friendship with you forever? Absolutely not. And here we are. God, I want to continue to pray for Nick and our friends that were with Nick. God, that's a scary moment. That's a hard moment. But God, when we look at the cross, we see you take really hard, scary things that don't make sense in the moment and make them glorious. And so I pray that the testimony of Nick and our friends, would we just see Jesus made much of? Would we see swift healing like we already have, physically and emotionally? And God, would we be bound together through the good nights like tonight and the hard nights like that night and make us into the church that you want us to be? who enjoy God forever. That's why you created us. And we want to start practicing right now, God, in your name.